Hello, and welcome back to the Free Radicals podcast. I'm Will. I'm Robin. This is the second episode of our deep dive into the story of the Anabaptist Kingdom of Munster. In the last episode, we talked about a break-in at a convent in Munster and how that was connected to the theological concerns of a monk almost 400 kilometers away in Wittenberg. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you can probably find it where you found this one. Um, But if this is your first time listening, you can stay, but we are building off of the story from the previous episode. And we're still figuring all of this out, so thank you for your patience as we continue to learn on the fly here. After we recorded the last episode, uh, Robin and I had an interesting conversation about uh, mental health and Martin Luther's personality. And so I found a quote that I thought uh, was pretty indicative of his way of thinking uh, that was probably complementary to him then. And I think even now a lot of people would see this as a, as a character strength. But I thought that maybe through more contemporary lenses, a softer lens, we might read it differently. So, uh, Robin, I have a quote uh, that I want you to read, the longer one from the top there. Mm. I find nothing that promotes work better than angry fervor. For when I wish to compose, write, pray, and preach well, I must be angry. It refreshes my entire system. My mind is sharpened. All unpleasant thoughts and depression fade away. There's a little bit more of a shorter, concise quote from him, and that's at the bottom there, if you can read that too. When I'm angry, I can pray well and preach well. That is very odd. Yeah, so I, I've, I've heard and uh, chatted with pastors who sort of still operate this way, uh, but there's something, something feels off about it. What, how does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, well, um, I would think that praying out of anger would not be conducive with praying to a God of love and peace. Mm. Like... I, I really, I'm kind of blown away by this and I'm sad. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting to see Martin Luther as someone who's making space for religious dialogue, making mm. space for religious progress, mm. and uh, making room for a whole lot of things that are, you know, open-minded mm. and tolerant. And, and he was neither of those things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And uh, there's, there's a meeting I'll talk about later where Martin Luther was there, says a lot of angry things, oh. and it really seems to, you know, through contemporary lenses, I think, discredit mm. almost everyone in the room, um, uh, and not just, not just him for, for the way, that way of acting. Uh, but I do, wow. think it's, I do think it's worth noting that uh, I've met a lot of Lutherans in my life, both uh, priests and parishioners. And, and none of them are characterized by their public angry outbursts. Uh, none of them have ever called me names or challenged me to a theological debate uh, as much as I probably would have enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in short, no Lutheran I've ever met has resembled Luther in any way. Um, <clears throat> but let's, uh, let's get back to the story of, of Munster. So after the monastery break-in and the carnival disturbances... The council was left with the task of keeping the religious turmoil under control. And there were pushes and pulls coming from all directions. Most of the local authorities, 
in including the, the local uh, Prince Bishop uh, Franz von Waldeck. Uh, they were all Catholic. Uh, there was a, a growing movement of people who were curious about and excited about the Lutheran style of reforms. And there was also a, a large group of, of loosely defined Anabaptists. Yeah, so m managing the power balance was not easy. But they also weren't alone in this. A lot of cities from Dutch, Czech, and German-speaking parts of Europe uh, were fighting the same balance. And some were doing better than others. Uh, but how well they did really depended on a whole bunch of different factors. How, how loyal were the, were the locals and the leaders to their Catholic faith? How good was the economy doing? Mm -hmm. um, did the local priests have people skills? Mm -hmm. Did they have obvious visible corruptions? Uh, were, the local uh, were the local rebels, were they well behaved? Mm -hmm. All of these things could, could change how well mm -hmm. a region did. Uh, with the changes of the Reformation. Interesting. And around the same time, uh, Munster hired a new priest. And his name was Bernard Rothman. And uh, he was studying at the University of Mainz, mm. which you might remember was the place that Martin Luther mailed his thesis. Because Albert of Brandenburg, his name was on the indulgences that we talked about. He's the one who sponsored the building of the cathedral. He's the one who okay. had permission to take it alone. Right. And then, so his name was on the indulgences. That's why Martin Luther sent it to him. Okay. So that list is mailed to Mainz. That's where Bernard Rothman was studying. A whole bunch of people would have been discussing it in the place where, where he was studying. Mm -hmm. Now, there's, there's nothing really special about uh, Rothman at first. He was hired to be part of the team at St. Moritz Church, uh, which I uh, was there in Munster. I will show you a picture. Uh, and uh, just want to remind the listeners, too, on the blog, there is a kind of a episode notes, and there's pictures, and you can follow along uh, the pictures on Instagram as well. Uh, so feel free to check there later. Uh, so I'll show you a picture of the church. It's still standing where, where he was a priest. But he, he wasn't the main priest there, and it wasn't the main church in Munster. So he's kind of farther down the priority list, the, the hierarchy ladder mm -hmm. uh, in Munster. And he was doing his job okay, no real complaints at first. But in his work, he started to be influenced by Anabaptists. And normally, uh, church leaders are, are happy when a preacher is preaching sermons that people want to hear, that kind of mm -hmm. draw a crowd. Uh, but Bernard Rothman was drawing a crowd of other Anabaptists. Was he, was he Catholic? Yeah, so everybody in Munster was officially Catholic, okay. sort of at this time. It was still a very Catholic church system okay. there. Uh, so the church leaders were uncomfortable with his influences um, <clears throat> because... The, the conversations with the Anabaptists were influencing his theology. Mm -hmm. And so the, the crowds that were coming were also influenced by Anabaptism. And uh, that means they weren't a well-behaved crowd. They didn't sit still. They were loud and ruckus. And, and also, at this time, when you've been influenced by Anabaptist theology... You're not preaching, feel good, mm -hmm. everybody pay your tithes and obey the government kind of sermons. I see. 
So the, the leaders decide that something needs to change. So they, they say to Rothman they're going to send him away to university to upgrade his schooling. Okay. And they're pretty confident <laughs> that uh, if, if Rothman goes to a legitimate school mm. studying from legitimate theologians, mm. then he will feel more comfortable in legitimate Christianity. Catholicism. Right. For them. So uh, Rothman goes, uh, but but Paris was then and always mm. has been sort of a haven for other rebels too. Mm. So it isn't a, a safe haven of orthodox preaching mm. and theology. Mm. So he goes there, but the influence doesn't wear off. Sorry, can I interrupt you for a second and ask you, what's the difference between a loosely defined Anabaptist and an Anabaptist? Right. So uh, in in the writings, sometimes when the church leaders were writing to each other and the historians talking about it since then, uh, sometimes Anabaptist is is used as like a catch-all, all the rebels are just Anabaptists. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean it's an accurate label. So not all of the rebels were Anabaptists, mm -hmm. but in some ways... All of the Anabaptists were rebels. Mm -hmm. I see. That makes sense. And, and there's something in, in the label. Because uh, for us right now, when you hear Anabaptist, uh, if you don't know anything about the Mennonite mm -hmm. cultural stuff, mm -hmm. uh, you're like, okay, well, this is a, a theological label to describe a group of people. So why would... There's no rebellion attached to that. Right. But... For us, baptism is is just a thing that happens at church. Mm. Sometimes it means after the baptism, you're now a member of the church. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes within the context of a child baptism, it means that the parents are now committed to being good Christian parents. Uh, sometimes it, it can mean a variety of things. But... One thing that's missing is in those days, in the Catholic context, when a child was born and then baptized, they were then registered. That means that the government then knew about the child. Oh. That meant that the, that child was now going to appear later on on the tax roll. That meant now later on that child could be conscript, conscripted into military service. So there was a clear connection between the church oh. and the state. Right, of course. And if you were an Anabaptist, mm -hmm. then you were sort of pushing back on that connection. People became Anabaptists for a long list of reasons. Right? So you could be convicted of an Anabaptist way of approaching the Bible. Then that's one type of Anabaptist. You could be angry at the church and for all of its corruption, and you say, I don't want to baptize my kid into this institution. Mm -hmm. Then you're branded as an Anabaptist, regardless of what actually you constructively believe. And you could just be anti-government, anti-taxation, anti-military, mm -hmm. without, without recognizing what your particular theological beliefs were, mm -hmm. and you're still labeled as an Anabaptist. So maybe this is a good time to explain what Anabaptist means. Right. That's a fair question at this point. The way that the word Anabaptist comes to us is uh, from a Latin root 
the ANA is like again or re and then mm. baptizer. So a rebaptizer or someone who's been rebaptized. Okay. So all of the the leaders, all of the uh, early members of the Anabaptist movement were baptized as children at mm. some point. And then through their own understanding, they said, well, that one didn't count. We're going to do it again. I see. So then they were Anabaptists. But that's what people on the outside called them. Oh, okay. Because inside the movement, they said, well, the first one didn't count. Right. We've oh. been baptized once, one time that counts, one time that matters, I and see. it's this one. I see. So that label was added by outsiders. So what did they call themselves? They would have spoken about each other quite simply. Within the spiritual communities, yeah. they would have called each other sisters and brothers. Okay. Which is something that's common in, in religious groups now, too. Right. And uh, Bernard Rothman, like I said, went to study in Paris. Well, there's, uh, there's a group of early Anabaptists. This is, the, this is what some people regard as, as the beginnings. Okay. So there's a, a guy named Conrad Grable. He's the son of an important wealthy family in, in Zurich. Mm -hmm. And he goes to study at the University of Paris, mm -hmm. just like Bernard Rothman. Uh, Felix Mons is a, uh, the illegitimate son of a Catholic priest in Zurich. Apparently that wasn't a problem. So he also went to university and they were part of a group in Zurich with the local priest there, whose name is Ulrich Zwingli. We'll talk about him more later too. Mm -hmm. And they got together, inspired by Luther, mm -hmm. and they said, hey, let's, let's see what we can learn, right? Martin Luther is, is deconstructing. So what happens if we reconstruct in our own way? Okay. And there's a movement sort of at that time where they were sort of rediscovering the beauty and the intelligence of some of uh, some classic old documents in Greek and Latin. And they said, well, what, why don't we do that with the Bible? Okay. So they were just looking at the Bible to see what happens in church life that's supported in Scripture. Oh, wow. And what happens in church life that isn't. Yeah. And one of the things that this group looked at was baptism. So in, uh, in the Bible, uh, baptism starts the way that the, the church understands it with Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist mm. and and the church baptizing through the book of Acts and, and, mm. and later after that. But when you look at those stories, all of the stories are of adults, right? right. Jesus oh, yeah. is an adult. Yeah. Uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is right. an adult. All of the early stories are about adults. Yeah. And so these these men... In their studying, they're like, well, why are we baptizing children? There's yeah. no children yeah. being baptized in the Bible. No. So in defense of the Catholics and other churches yeah. that, that practice child baptism, there are parts, there are stories where where Paul will meet someone, tell them the gospel, and they'll say, hey, I want to be baptized and my whole household. Yes. So maybe yeah. there were children in that household. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. <clears throat> but especially for these early... Anabaptists, they said, well, we, we can't build a whole church practice on the maybe. Yeah. Right? Interesting. 
And then the the church and state argument was especially important to them. And as things changed, because that was kind of the problem with Luther, was that, yeah, he was doing new things, but he was still loyal to the government and all of the things. Martin Luther could only make changes that the authorities, the legal authorities, approved and paid for. Because he was still working for the church? Right. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of the concern. And and during the Peasants' War, when the people were rising up and complaining about financial injustice, complaining about uh, the way that jobs were handed out and ladders of importance in society... Martin Luther was very much on the side of the state and suppressing oh. the will of, of the people. Oh. So that then... That was after this or before this? That was sort of at the tail end of the last episode. Oh. Um, oh, I see. And, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so I talked last episode about how Martin Luther uh, in, sort of invented a new German language, which wasn't mm. his goal. Uh, he, he invented a new way of doing church. That wasn't his goal either. All of these things that he created just by being theologically stubborn, right? Um, That wasn't his goal at the time. Another thing that wasn't his goal, he didn't want to establish a template for how you break away from the Catholic Church, (laughs) right? He wanted to fix the church and then Mm -hmm. everything would be smooth and hunky-dory after that. But what happened was he broke away too far and couldn't go back. Mm -hmm. And leaders from a whole lot of other parts of Europe looked at him and said, oh, well, if he can do it, we can do it. And they had various reasons for doing it. Martin Luther had his issues with indulgences Mm -hmm. and corruption and greed. Well, in Zurich, for example, which we were just talking about, uh, they had a big problem with mercenary soldiers. So Zurich made a lot of money, the the Swiss government made a lot of money by basically renting out their soldiers to other armies. Wow. And it doesn't seem like a fair way to make money for the people. Yeah. And so some of the local church leaders, especially Zwingli, said, we can't can't do this anymore. And uh, there was money that the church had promised to pay to the city of Zurich and then forgot about it or whatever there are always Mm. things that make local groups angry for different reasons Mm -hmm. so when they're reconstructing what they think a church should operate like then they're going to fix different problems oh absolutely yeah that makes sense so it's going to play out differently so then in zurich they were having these debates but Zwingli, the, who was the priest at the time, kind of having a little Bible studies, little academic studies with a little group of, of his students, uh, they were going along discussing baptism. And then Zwingli realized, listen, we can't, we can't change this. The, okay. the city council isn't going to go with that. Okay. But the students, they said, well... Right, but we're not obliged to follow city council. We have to follow what the Bible says. So they wanted to do baptism their way, not the old way. But Zwingli said, well, we we can change stuff. We're changing a whole bunch yeah. of things, but we're not changing baptism. Okay. 
and uh, they had this this was kind of happening on a larger scale lots of people were, were following along what was going to happen and so they decided they were going to have a debate a public debate and there was a public debate and Zwingli and his people defended child baptism and these people Felix Mons Connor Grable were defending uh, not doing child baptism mm-hmm. And uh, Connor Grable, who I mentioned, had a child recently or shortly before this and hadn't brought the child to be baptized. Oh. And, and so this was all very new still. So then after the debate, it was announced, okay, we're not talking about this anymore and any unbaptized children need to be brought to the church to be baptized. Okay. So the students, they get together at Felix Mons's mother's house they get together and they're talking about what they should do next. There isn't really, they can't do another debate. Can they contact other scholars, other mm. priests? They're talking about all the ideas. When, the, when an idea hits them, that they should baptize each other. Okay. Which seems to be obvious to us. So one of the guys that's there is, is George Blaurock. And uh, that's not really his last name. It's kind of a nickname. So he wore like a, a robe, like a scholar's robe. Uh, <clears throat> so blue rock, blue coat, blue robe. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the, the, his nickname, George with a blue coat. And uh, he says, uh, hey, I, I need you to baptize me. Yeah. So George Blaurock asks Connor Grable to baptize him. It's like a eureka moment. They realize this is what yeah. they have to do. So Conrad baptizes him and then he says, okay, now it's my turn. Yeah. And by the end of the meeting, they'd all been baptized. This was, we, this is kind of regarded as the beginnings of the Anabaptist movement. There were similar events, similar Anabaptist movements in different parts of mm-hmm. Holland, even, even Italy. Uh, but this is the one that's kind of recorded and <clears throat> recognized by a lot of people. And as, it was in Paris. Uh, no, Conrad studied oh. in Paris, but all oh, of this okay. happened in Zurich. Then this is kind of, uh, this is a kind of a, a spiritual Anabaptism. And uh, these movements are springing up in other places, sometimes influenced by Zurich, sometimes influenced by other places. But pretty quickly they start interacting with each other, talking with each other. And they start to realize, you know, we have some mature Anabaptists who are about spiritual renewal, and there's some who are more rebellious and wanting to destroy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to have a gathering, a meeting. So Anabaptist leaders from different parts of Europe come together in a German town called uh, Schleitheim, and they work out together what are going to be the things that they hold together. And they come up with a list of, of seven points, and... Uh, a lot of them deal with what is what is church going to look like. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a pure church. Mm-hmm. If if people in the church aren't living good lives, we can kick them out. Okay. Um, communion is only for ab- adult, baptized, mature Christians. Um, <clears throat> all of these things about what it means to be the pure church. Um, also, we're going to elect our own pastors for ourselves. And uh, another big thing is we are going to be peaceful. Uh, Jesus said to love our enemies. Jesus told us to put down our swords. We're going to be peaceful people. 
Did they? So were they meeting in homes at this point, or did they? What kind of church setting were they having? Yeah, so they were meeting in in homes, but also barns and caves, and and mostly in secret. Right. Okay. So yeah, so this this gathering happens, and it sort of separates uh, the pe- the Anabaptists who wanted a pure spiritual movement, mm-hmm. and the ones who were rebelling right. um, more. But that didn't instantaneously improve their reputation mm-hmm. right that wasn't recognized by the catholics or the lutherans as a legitimate gathering as a legitimate statement um, and different places as i mentioned before were responding to the anabaptist movement in different ways mm-hmm. um, but people were starting um, even in zurich church leaders were starting to arrest and torture and even kill uh, Anabaptists. Okay. So Felix Mons, who I mentioned, mm. was was one of them. He was preaching about um, baptism. He was preaching against the, the Zurich church. Mm. And he was evangelizing, proselytizing. And he had been told by Zurich leaders to stop. And he wouldn't stop. So he was arrested. And when he was arrested and released a few times... They decided, well, this will keep him and the whole movement quiet if mm. we execute him. They executed him, and spoiler alert, it didn't. It didn't what? stop them. Oh, I thought you said he didn't. You were saying it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he didn't come back. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's kind of this, even though there's a, a delineation, a separation of of the more rebellious Anabaptists mm. and, and the more spiritual Anabaptists. This uh, opposition doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as these other local priests and church leaders in different places are building their different churches, uh, they're clearly not Catholic anymore. Uh, but each it's, it's as though each local city is fighting against the whole Catholic institution. So a bunch of the the civic leaders, not church leaders, the government leaders, were sort of saying, hey, listen, we need to be able to work together. We need to be on the same page. So they declared that they're going to have a meeting in, uh, in Marburg, uh, another town in Germany. So they get together. Um, Luther and a whole bunch of his... Uh, protégés come together and and Zwingli who I mentioned before th- they both come to this meeting and the the civic officials are saying hey listen we need to work together to cooperate so that we can stand up to the Catholics easier okay. but you have told us that we can't do that unless you work out some sort of common faith confession okay so they get together and they're trying to work out what do they agree? How, what can they agree on together? So they finally, they come up with a list of 15 things. But there's one stickler that they can't agree on. Martin Luther, as much as he hates the Catholic Church, is holding on to one particular belief that, that these days we really only credit the, the Catholics for holding on to. Martin Luther believes that when Christians sit down to take the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, that in the moment they take mm. it, it 
in that moment is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, mm. literally. And Zwingli and others say, no, Jesus was clearly talking in metaphor. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And Martin Luther was quite stubborn. Yeah. They're, they're debating, they're in this big room, and he wrote on the table, this is my body, quoting yeah. Jesus when he's having the meal with his disciples. Uh-huh. Uh, so Luther says, if Jesus said it in the Bible, that's what it is. Okay. They weren't getting anywhere, so they divide up to talk about some other issues. They can find agreement on almost everything else, yeah. but not that. Okay. But they were able to come up with 15 things that they agreed on. And one of them, interestingly enough, is uh, participation in government. Okay. They agreed together... That Christians can uh, serve in government, they can work for the government, mm -hmm. they can be leaders. Uh, and in the common, in the document, on the point, they they say we believe this despite what mm -hmm. some Anabaptists have said. Mm -hmm. So this meeting is important. This is Protestants meeting with Protestants to figure out. Uh, how they can work together, what they share in common. Mm -hmm. And they make a point of saying, we are different from the Anabaptists. Mm -hmm. This is the meeting where they realize, okay, we can work together, mm -hmm. sort of, but there are some personalities mm -hmm. that, are, are, that we're going to have trouble with. So another thing that I put on the episode notes on the website is a timeline. Because uh, I do sort of hop around and kind of pick and choose events that, that fit. So this baptism that happens in Zurich is 1525. The same year as the break-in that happened okay. in, in the Munster convent. The uh, the gathering in Schleitheim where they work out a shared confession of faith, that's 1527. Felix Mons is executed also in 1527. The Marburg Colloquy. That's the only time I use that word is okay. talking about the one in, in Marburg. The Marburg Colloquy is 1529. Mm -hmm. So in the next episode, we'll we'll get into those answers. What happens next? Um, what happens with Bernard Rothman and uh, other parts of the Anabaptist movement? So thanks for following along. Thanks for listening to episode two. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.